Welcome to KYH2O, a podcast about all things water in Kentucky. I'm Carmen Agaritas, an Extension Associate Professor in the Biosystems and Agricultural Engineering Department at the University of Kentucky. And I'm Amanda Gumbert, an Extension Specialist for Water Quality with the University of Kentucky Cooperative Extension Service. Join us as we get our feet wet exploring Kentucky's water resources. Carmen, you got to go out with a pretty interesting character the other day and explore some geology in Lexington. So can you tell us about what you did? Yeah, I went out with Alan Fryer. So Alan is an associate professor in the Earth Environmental Sciences, and he's one of my favorite people because he is a wealth of knowledge, not just about science, but all kinds of cultural aspects and things of that nature. And we went to the distillery district, which was a perfect blend between geology and culture. All right, so tell me about um, what you saw at the distillery district. So we went next to Town Branch. Town Branch is one of the main streams that runs from downtown Lexington um, on out into the countryside. And the distillery district is right up uh, near the banks of Town Branch. So you can actually go down there, have entertainment, food, drinks and whatnot. And there's uh, places that you can walk along and look out at Town Branch. Alan describes um, something about the geology that's pretty, not necessarily just unique to Lexington, but it's certainly characteristic. And he calls it karst. He calls it karst. And he said it was an Eastern European term that is propagated uh, through our terminology. So when we think of karst, apparently that's uh, where it came from. And karst really relates to rocks that dissolve. Among other things, it's made of what's called calcium carbonate. So if you swallow a Tums, for example, that's kind of the reaction that happens. You have this calcium carbonate, which among other things makes up seashells. Sometimes it was just calcium carbonate mud that was deposited over time. Um, reacting with this acidity with um, carbonic acid, which is sort of like club soda, it's a weak acid that dissolves holes in the rock. So what may have been just small cracks to begin with as they dissolve away over time become larger and larger. So rocks that will actually uh, dissolve. So underneath us we have what we call limestone. So there's different kinds of cars but what we have is limestone and it's made of seashells from uh, you know, creatures that lived millions upon millions of years ago. Listening to, to Alan talk about this, I remember from like just intro geology, thinking about those seashells and we're kind of taught that, you know, the shells are what makes the, the, the limestone. But he also mentioned that it may be muddy, like that it's maybe old, like fossilized mud. Is yeah, right? so he talks about different layers in there and that the karst we have in Lexington, he calls it uh, quote unquote more dirty karst and that it has more of those soil or mud layers in it as opposed to uh, if you go maybe someplace uh, in maybe in the western part of the state or other areas that have karst that don't have the, the such the mud layers in them that apparently our karst has. The other thing I thought was really interesting is, is karst just because you have the rock there, it also, um, that we have with the seashells, it dissolves very easily. And it's things that you may not think about that help it dissolve, like rain. So our rain has a, is slightly acidic. And by that, I mean, you know, pH would be normally neutral at seven. Ours is just slightly acidic. And when that 
slightly acidic water starts to flow down through the ground and interacts with that rock, it starts to help it dissolve. And that creates all kinds of little cracks and holes and pathways. So there's something kind of special though about our limestone. And culturally speaking, um, there's a, a special spirit that has come maybe from the, the limestone. So let's listen to Alan talk about a very specific industry that developed in central Kentucky. When bourbon emerged in Kentucky, it was made with our local water, with what's called limestone water. And part of what's distinctive about it is just because of the reaction between the water and the rock, the pH is relatively neutral. And that means that it's, as a result, going to be low in iron, but it also um, tends to promote fermentation. And so now there are not as many distilleries that actually use groundwater, that use spring water. Some use treated river water, um, but in a general sense, the chemistry of the water in this region where you got flow either through the subsurface or over the surface is relatively similar whether you're talking about springs or rivers. And so all of our distillers in Kentucky tend to be working, at least in this region, with this limestone water. But I understand now that most of our distillers don't use groundwater? Well, some of them do, but a lot of it is a volume issue. So as you can imagine, bourbon's really in demand and it takes a lot of water to do it and it may be more uh, than what you can get out of the ground maybe not enough for the production needs that they have. So Alan mentioned, for example, Woodford Reserve. So he thought they were still using groundwater sources, but other ones may now be using surface water sources to help meet their quality needs. Needing a surface water source, if you're producing a product, a bourbon product, points to me this real need to protect our surface waters. Yeah, absolutely. I think our, our bourbon industry would certainly have a vested interest in making sure that we have clean and safe surface water, especially if that's what they're using for production. So we're standing alongside Town Branch, which is the stream along which Lexington grew up. Uh, we're in the distillery district, and Town Branch was used as a water supply for some of the distilleries back, I think, in the 1800s so and the early 1900s. Yeah, some of, the, some of the early distilleries, maybe not the earliest distilleries in Kentucky, but the distilleries that really um, grew up in Lexington uh, as distilling moved from more of kind of a mom and pop, like I said, a moonshine operation to something that was more industrial after the Civil War. And so they would need a steady supply of water. Part of the challenge is getting enough water, which is why large-scale uh, distillers like um, Wild Turkey, for example, I believe uses water from either the Salt River or the Kentucky River. You have to have a certain minimum water supply depending upon how much you're distilling. Uh, Woodford Reserve still uses uh, water from, I believe, a well on their premises, but they don't produce as much either. So part of it is how much water can you get out of your water source necessary to produce as much whiskey as you want to produce. Uh, what we're looking at also on the opposite bank um, is exposed limestone. And part of what's characteristic of the limestone in central Kentucky in this area, as opposed to south central Kentucky, say in the Mammoth Cave area, our rocks are a little bit older, like I said, 400 million years and change relative to perhaps 300 million years um, in the Mammoth Cave region. And our rocks are also, if you will, 
dirtier or muddier. That is, the limestone is not as pure. And so, for example, the reason that our soils are the way they are is because we have residual soil that is formed by what's left over after the rock has dissolved away. What that means in terms of water quality and water flow here is that as water infiltrates, that is, soaks into the ground, either through the soil or through running into sinkholes, that it's moving along cracks in the rock, moving through larger, what I would call conduits, like small caves, but we don't tend to get the sort of big caves here in central Kentucky that you do in other parts of the state because our limestone tends to be, as I said, dirtier. And so as a result, that means we don't tend to get, although there are exceptions, enormous springs either. And that's a constraint on how much water you could get out of a spring as opposed to out of a creek for public water supply, which explains, for example, why the largest community in Kentucky that's still relying solely on groundwater is Georgetown, which is perhaps, what, 20,000 people? It uses water from Royal Spring. Lexington outgrew town branches its water supply. Lexington, to get enough water for its municipal water supply, now relies on the Kentucky River. I don't know that I would consider myself a bourbon connoisseur, but I certainly drink it on occasion. And I've been through tours of some of the distilleries. Have you been on any of the tours? I have been on one. It's kind of interesting to hear them, um, what they'll tell you and what they won't tell you, which is fun. Um, but going through all of the specifications of what has to happen for Kentucky bourbon to be called or legally labeled Kentucky bourbon. So you have to have it in white oak that has to have been charred for at least two years. And so part of what gives um, whiskey its distinctive flavor and color is the sugars in the oak that you have the alcohol basically seeping into and out of the barrel staves. And just because of, of custom, um, it has to be in a barrel that has not been reused. Uh, so for example, people may take old whiskey barrels and use them to make um, bourbon barrel ale, for example, but it has to have been used only once and it has to have been aged for at least two years in the barrel. Uh, the other is corn. I don't remember the exact percentages, but I think it's a minimum of 51. Um, I believe there's a maximum of 79, but there may not be an upper limit. But again, this is dictated by statute. But what makes different bourbons distinctive is, for example, how long they age and what the so-called mash bill is. You know, is it just 51% corn? Do they, like some distillers, add uh, wheat or rye in, which gives it supposedly more of a spicy character. Um, and also, you know, where does your corn come from? Is corn just corn? You know, if you look in the supermarket aisle and you look at tortilla chips, you've got yellow corn chips, but white corn chips and blue corn chips. I don't think anybody's distilling blue corn to make whiskey, but the statute doesn't stipulate what kind of corn it it has to be, it just says there has to be a certain range or percentage of corn used. And then you have to have water, where the water comes from, again, in Kentucky by tradition, it's our quote unquote limestone water. So I didn't see anything that said it had to come out of groundwater or surface water or anything of that nature. But maybe that's that's the, you know, the best kept secret or maybe not so much anymore, but one of the, the key components that really makes Kentucky bourbon extra special. 
um, you know, some of the tours, and, and I bet a lot of our listeners have been on bourbon tours. We have the Bourbon Trail all around Central Kentucky, and I see new signs up every time I'm out um, on the road. You see a new little distillery that's popped up. Um, but it's it's kind of fun to hear about that and how um, how the barrels are rotated in the rickhouse and, you know, all the different, you know, nuances that make bourbon what it is. And one of the things I think is really unique about Lexington is how much of our culture and the development of our city is tied to water. So let's listen to Alan talk a little bit about how Lexington's actually rediscovering its history. I'm not a social scientist, obviously. I'm a geologist, but I've been a resident of Lexington since 1995. And part of what I've really enjoyed seeing uh, through that time is Lexington I don't know if reinventing itself is the right term, but rediscovering its history and um, valuing its history and taking advantage of it. Uh, and examples are the distilleries here that have been purchased after having been mothballed in some instances for decades. And it's not just Lexington. I was just reading earlier today about Castle and Key, which is the former Old Taylor distillery between Versailles and Frankfurt, uh, which actually used spring water as well. So it's just, it's a happening place. And the distillery district is not just distilleries. There's um, an ice cream place. There are restaurants. Uh, there's a club where I've been to see concerts. But again, I think it shows how if you appreciate the interaction between the physical environment and the culture that other people will appreciate it too. Amanda, do you know of anything um, bourbon, the bourbon industry is doing about protecting its surface water since it looks like that's becoming a much greater source for their bourbon production? Right, there's a couple of things that from a distillery perspective that they're, and to balance sustainability, they really have to think about. Um, one we haven't really mentioned and that are, is the, the charred oak barrels that can't be used before. They have to be new charred oak barrels. So, you know, in terms of white oak production, um, I think there are a number of distilleries that have uh, agreements with, with some of our woodland owners in Kentucky um, to make sure there is a sustainable supply of white oak available for them. Um, and then also a number of distilleries are looking locally to their water sources that they're using for distillation um, and their watersheds where they um, where their their production is located and really focusing on uh, watershed protection and reforestation of those watersheds um, to make sure that they are protecting their water source whether that be a surface water source or a groundwater source so it's a a really um, nice thing for um, you know, a very popular product to also be able to come back and say, hey, we're pretty sustainable. So we're doing the right thing. We're trying to work with local producers for some of our products. Um, and then also, you know, looking around and saying, here's the impact we make on the environment and here's what we're trying to do to offset it. Well, Carmen, you and, and Alan were on the banks of the Town Branch. And if anybody knows anything about Town Branch, it just all of a sudden pops out of a pipe from under downtown Lexington. So there's there's been a little bit of talk about that changing. What do you know about that? 
So there has been talk about daylighting town branch. And so when we say we daylight a stream, that really is taking it from that pipe and then bringing it back out into the open so that it would flow like we would see a normal traditional stream flow. Um, town branch is a lot of challenges because, you know, it's in an urban area. So not only are there infrastructure challenges, but we also have water quality challenges. And that's something Alan's pointed out. Absolutely, I mean, water is essential for humanity. That's what I tell my students. And water is essential for the organisms that are in Town Branch. The water quality in Town Branch is impaired. Although frankly, it's not as bad as I expected before I took my classes wading in it. Water seems to be better than what he might've thought it would have been for an urban stream. But while we were out there, we would definitely see a lot of um, even in the colder times, we would see some algal growth. We would see really dark colored rocks, which tells me the dissolved oxygen level is really low. We would see trash in the streams and stuff like that. So uh, the, the town branch project, what they're talking about of trying to daylight that stream and bring it out is really exciting because it can have potentially some positive environmental uh, impacts, but also a lot of cultural things too. Because as Alan points out over and over, we settled all around the streams. We're drawn to those streams. And so hopefully it's something that can bring it back. But we still all have to do our part as far as the water quality goes to make sure that what runs off and flows into Towns Branch um, doesn't have a lot of pollutants in it. It seems like a really good environmental education opportunity for the general population who might be drawn to the distillery district for entertainment and then also get a bonus of having access to a stream and learning more about their natural environment. And if you wanna see karst geology, you can go to Town Branch uh, behind the distillery district and there are lots of layers of limestone that you can look at and see what some of those former seashells look like now. Oh, great. Well, I can't wait to, to go down and, and maybe enjoy a, a dessert and a beverage and explore the stream. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode of KYH2O. Remember, you can get more information about karst geology and all things water quality on our website and listen to other podcasts. You've been listening to Carmen Agaritas and Amanda Gumbert. Learn more about water at uky.edu forward slash BAE forward slash KYH2O. Subscribe to hear all episodes of KY H2O.